Jason, what do you, what CDs you got there? Uh, I just dropped these two CDs, dude. I'm ashamed to say what one what of is them it? is, but one of them is Far Side Rochambeau and the other one. The other one I was going through. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I always, I I always say, what's the point of being in a band if you wouldn't listen to your own band? Well, I wasn't listening to it. I was going through and organizing this room that I pawed out of. I'm just here to say, Count Me Out Permanent is a great record and it's worth listening to, even if you were the singer of the band. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But the CDs just, they had just fallen on the ground right before we started. Well, uh, everybody, welcome to another edition another episode of the where it went podcast where we are discussing the revelation records discography in chronological order and jason kick it tell tell us what we got on this episode this week this time this time we're talking about ice burns double lp hephaestus hephaestus did you see that pronunciation just roll out <laughs> yeah hephaestus i love it yeah, that's great. And this was a really interesting episode to do. This was a very interesting record for us to both visit and revisit, right? Yeah. And and discover. Uh, I know that you both became converts to the cult of the Iceburn Collective, right? Dude, I, you know, I, I had a feeling that that was going to happen just because of knowing where they drew their influences from, from reading and hearing stuff about like, you know, and which we talked about too with, uh, you know, Gentry and and Jordan, but like the Melvins and all that Pacific Northwest stuff, but plus like the later Black Flag. Um, So I had a feeling that I was going to dive in, but I I didn't know it would be that much. Like I'm really into this record and I had never listened to – it until you know prepping for the episode yeah well i wouldn't well, say i'm a full-on convert i'm a okay. full-on eagle twin convert nice. yeah and that's the other thing then it yeah. led me to eagle twin who have uh, music out on southern lord um so I, i'm just this is a cool era of rev because yeah. we get all that like neat stuff and shades apart and engine kid and stuff that i think needs a little more shine yeah including ice burn and I'm glad that we can give it. Like, we all love Gorilla Biscuits. Gorilla Biscuits don't need any more shine from us. I'll still give it. You know, <laughs> I'll I mean? still give it for sure. Yeah, I'll give it. You know, forever. But yeah. you know, they don't need any more. I don't think anybody listened to our episode on Start Today and then was like, "All right, I'm going to give this Start Today." Record. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm on this mean? podcast. I'm going to check out this record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, fair, it's, fair. it's more, I think a lot of, especially the first 20 episodes of this podcast were like revisiting nostalgia for people. And it's, it made a lot of people go back and re-listen to those records or think about them in a different, maybe more critical manner. But it yeah. wasn't, you're right, it wasn't like converting anybody. But into another far side iceberg, these conversations m- might turn people on to a new band. And I think we're going to be getting a lot of that over the next eh, five years or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my, my whole thing is that because of how I consume music and how I, um, how I kind of get into things is like, I like to dig deep and I like to find out where an artist is coming from before just completely, you know, dismissing someone being like, oh, this, this stinks. Like I like to know like, Oh, wait, well, they were actually listening to, you know, this, this, and this, and that's why it sounds this way. 
And, um, you know, I've been doing that since I was a little kid. Like I've talked about before with Nirvana, uh, was like hearing where they got their sound from, where their influence came from. Yeah. And it's the same thing with some of these bands that maybe I don't, I'm not super familiar with like ice burn. And there's a lot of layers here. There's a lot of stuff to unpack also with, with this, with ice burn. I mean, you need to have a lot of records to look forward to and, Wait, and wait, wait. Now guys. I have like the vinyl yeah. for almost hey, all. <laughs> before we get too deep into talking about Iceburn, I think it might be time to. Bidip Bo, Revelation Records fans. This is Joe from Hellminded Records, and I'm about to drop some info on some of our more recent releases, including the return of New Jersey hardcore legends No Escape, Massachusetts melodic punks Owe the Humanity, and South Philly Thrasher's Honey. Kicking things off, we have the crushing new six-song 12-inch EP by seminal New Jersey hardcore unit No Escape, featuring Tim Singer of Dead Guy, Kissing Goodbye and Bitter Branches, and Stephen Cordello of Turning Point. The first pressing is sold out on the Hellminded website, but you can still grab the few remaining copies at Rev HQ on exclusive yellow vinyl. Next up is the Hell-Minded self-titled debut LP by Massachusetts Melodic Quintet, Oh the Humanity. This 11-song shredder is for fans of Strike Anywhere, A Wilhelm Scream, and Propagandi. Dropping April 16th, this high-speed shredder is now available for pre-order on our website in multiple color variants. And finally, coming late May, we have the long-awaited debut LP by South Philly crossover thrashers, Honey. Featuring Jay Laughlin of Turning Point and Godspeed on guitar and vocals, this is for fans of Power Trip, Mind Force, and Iron Reagan. Pre-orders open late April. We've got a ton more in store for 2021. Stay tuned to our Instagram at Hellminded Records for more info on future releases and use the code where it went on our website for 10% savings on your next order. So that was a commercial from our friends at Hellminded Records. Um, as of the airing of this podcast, the new No Escape is out on um, digital platforms, Spotify and Apple and all that. And it is sick. Yeah, it's a ripper. It's And it's um, the pre-orders are shipping. Uh, I think Joe was telling me like this week they started shipping. Some people's already shipped. Oh, nice. Um, for the No Escape. And the first press is sold out. And the uh, I think there's a very limited amount left at Rev HQ of the yellow vinyl. So I really like that Rev does that. I got the 108 Curse of Instinct, which is, of course, on Devarishi Records. I got the yellow version. And um, I, myself, with my label, Contraband, often do yellow shell cassettes that are rev exclusive uh, many of my releases have done that so bit of boat to rev hq for offering a um exclusive variant yeah. yeah so they they do that for some of the you know i know some of the hell-minded uh like shades apart they did which obviously that makes sense they were on the label but sure. um yeah so check out the new no escape um and that new honey i can't wait to hear that the stuff i've heard clips i've heard from it uh are pretty awesome so yeah bit about um, a tim singer's voice yeah i best. always thought i remember when i heard i didn't hear dead guy or maybe i like heard dead guy back in the day and then i heard him again maybe well now it was probably like 20 years ago and i thought i always thought your vocals reminded me of 
Tim Singer's on the deck Damn. down LP. Like Thank that you. kind of intensity and uh, grit to it. He's one it, of my favorite singers. Yeah, he's he's great. Yeah. And his last name's Stinger. So he was destined That's right. to be the singer. Like, you know, when they're when you're with your friends and you're saying who's gonna play what, you know, that age old like how how'd your band start for like yeah. hardcore band? Well, we were all sitting around, you know, he got dibs right away on Singer. Sewing machine or start a good hardcore band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Become, with the right way. become an expert sewer. <laughs> Hob, Hob, Hob just gave a look of disapproval. <laughs> He's like, that's a dad joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. You know, I, I love his voice in Dead Guy. I love his voice in Kiss a Goodbye. And then, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm an E-Tidiot. Do you know what that is? Yeah, big every time I die. I'm a big every okay. time like I die I'm screen, Just like I'm Scream Team. Yes. So okay. he, uh, on every, um, every time I die record, they have some wild guest vocalists and Tim Singer made a guest appearance, I think when? on the last album, I think on, uh, low, low, teens? low teens. And, um, okay. they, I mean the, the amount, the people that they've had on as guest vocalists is crazy. Everyone from Daryl Palumbo, um, Sean from Coalesce, Brendan, Gerard Ur- Ray. yeah, Gerard Ray, Brendan Urie. Um, oh, I think yeah, Dallas Green. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting hearing these juxtapositions to um, Keith's voice. So yeah, bit of Boda Tim Singer's growl. Yeah, and uh, the Bitter Branches, his uh, current band. I mean, I guess No Escape too. Like, are gonna play, and they wrote this new music. But Bitter Branches uh, will be. They're actually in the studio as we speak, recording a uh, upcoming album for an as yet named uh label so be on the lookout for that um i don't know you guys have anything else i do i have a uh i have to shout it to head to wall records uh nate from head to wall has been a supporter of the podcast basically from day one uh you know in the quicksand episode we ran a commercial for Head to Wall Records for a record by a band called Honeymoon that was about to come out. I got a package the other day from Head to Wall that had that Honeymoon. It's a six-inch lathe cut record. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about the lathe cut process, but these records are very like fragile. They're very interesting. Um, and it has two songs, and these songs are fucking awesome jason did you get a chance to listen to that lathe cut no no i didn't yeah I didn't to be 100 honest but it looks awesome yo yeah. i i said that it sounds like quicksand on cough syrup in like the <laughs> best way possible it's it's great i can't wait to hear like it. heavy yeah. heavy like almost a little bit sluggish post hardcore and it's really good i also got a 12 inch from the band mouth eater which was a very early band on the head to wall roster and had a split seven inch with a band called Vegas that I actually played a couple of shows in, which is a very, uh, it, that's a, yeah, I don't know. You probably, you probably never heard of Vegas. It's a very exclusive Holy terror band, but they have a few records and the split with mouth eater is great. He also sent me some cassettes uh, this band called Forget It, that's just like fast, pissed off, hardcore. And this band called Martyr's Tongue. And judging by the cover, I thought it was going to sound like 
death in june or some kind of like neo folk but it actually sounds like really like kind of fast pissed off hardcore in the vein of blind to faith um so i i'm super stoked on this package everything that i got was great uh nate and everyone at head to wall you guys are fucking awesome yeah josh uh, i think josh is who sent the package yeah um, and Thank i'm, you, I'm excited to dig in I, I got it like during the week it's just impossible almost for me to uh really have time to play records but i, I also got the moon kisser uh-huh which i've talked about uh, my old buddy gus is in the band um Tommy anthony bit about yeah and uh wait tommy was he in over my dead body over my dead body that's yeah. right and and four wasn't he in four walls he was in four walls for a tour i think okay interesting um, yeah so cool stuff we really appreciate it yeah you um, can check them out at head to wall records um dot bandcamp.com and it's head and then the number two wall like prints yeah records at bandcamp uh, dot bandcamp.com um, and um they got a lot of really cool stuff if you're into like pissed off hardcore or heavy post hardcore check it out so i, I also wanted I, to, I, got. I wanted to shout um or bit of bow shout who shouts shout shout it yeah um <laughs> i wanted to bit of bow jeremy from super touch and 32 mm. frames he uh hooked a man up with some super touch really awesome super touch tees yeah uh, to to uh you know drape over my body bit of bow from me to him as well yeah and uh one sorry. of the designs was actually by a good friend of mine perry shawl uh so bit of bow to perry um, you can check I, out perry talk to mark Marin about t-shirts yes yeah i was gonna say yeah. perry uh, if you go to at Perry Shaw, S-H-A-L-L, uh, on Instagram, and then he has a t-shirt time show. I uh, can't think of the handle at the moment, but you can. it's linked from his, uh, his Instagram, and he does like live interviews with people, and he's done one with Gilbert Gottfried before. Yeah. And, uh, nice. He had, just did one with Mark Maron. Dean uh, Del Rey. Yeah, so pretty cool. Um, so yeah, Perry and Jeremy, thank you so much. Um, I had one more thing, but I don't know if you guys, I have one more thing. Go for it. Uh, I got a text from Adam at Rev records this week, asking me if I had any more of the culture born of you cassettes that, uh, contraband put out. And I was like, yeah, I'll bring some by. And when I come by, I'd like to do some shopping. I would like to pick up the new overcast only the dead are smiling 12 inch which is on bullet tooth and that's a compilation of their seven inches i said i needed the near dark cassette which has uh, my dude eric pressman matt wilson keith freeman it's like some great pop punk and then i said i need the fall silent you knew i was poison on compact disc and he said cd you want it on cd and i was like yes i want it on cd because i'm going to listen to it in my car more than anything. And he's like, oh, oh, all right, buddy. And I'm like, well, you fucking made CDs. Like <laughs> people are going to buy them. It's and not I'm, like, it's I'm not one like of those it's made to order. Yeah. I guess I'll make this. CD. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I got that and I listened to it three times in a row in my car. And I got to say that fall silent record. It's, it's only eight songs and it's fucking awesome. If you like fast pissed off, hardcore, I really, really urge you to check out the new Fall Silent record on Rev. Yeah, CD, it's funny with CDs. I know we talked before, but like I've been finding them for like 
a couple bucks. Yeah, dude. But I just leave them in the car because now Mm -hmm. I don't play with my phone anymore. I just put it and it forces me to like listen to the whole thing. Yeah, you listen to that. You experience the album the way that it was intended. So... I'm 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 with it. I don't have to bring the aux cable because yeah. the Bluetooth on the phone. You know, I'm just it like sucks. and it's, it's seriously, just, it seriously sounds so much better. It, it really it really does. Um, but yeah, I guess the last uh, mention I wanted to say by the time this airs, um, the end the latest end on end episode will be out, and yours truly was interviewed. So I'll be on there talking about Scream. Ooh. Banging the Drum, uh, nice. 1987 uh, album, their third album, Stop It. Never heard of it. <laughs> and uh, it was a really fun convo. I'm a big, big fan of the pod. I know I've mentioned him many times here. Uh, so it literally felt like I was like on the Tonight Show or something because I was so excited just to talk about Scream and not get a who or anything Ooh. like that. It was, <laughs> it was cool. So that'll, that'll be out. Um, well, I guess for patrons listening, uh, that'll be out Tuesday. So cool. If you're a patron, real quick bit of bow to our patrons. Thank you for the support. Yep. And, uh, we've got some more bonus stuff coming and we love you. Bye. Yes. Well, uh, wow. That we, I guess we better dive into the Iceburn episode then. We've been talking to each other long enough. Yeah. Nobody else wants to hear us. So let's, uh, let's kick it. What's up, everybody? We're here today to talk about Revelation number 27, which with uh, Iceburn uh, leader, would we say? Uh, Gentry. <laughs> mastermind. Yeah, mastermind, uh, Gentry Densley. Uh, and first off, how do we pronounce, before we start, how do we pronounce the name of this? Is it Hephaestus? Yeah, that's what we always say. Okay. Hephaestus, Hephaestus, maybe in some pronunciations, but yeah. Tomato, tomato. So um, my my first lead in, I guess, you know, because this is not the first Iceburn record. Um, There's other Iceburn records. My understanding as a huge fan of the band Insight. Yeah. um, And, you know, special bit at bow to our friends, Mark and Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, Love those guys. Um at least in the history books, it says that insight breaks up and everybody, but Mark forms Iceburn. Is that correct? Is there like, how did that, how did, how did Iceburn start? Yeah, there's a storied history, of course. Um, um, I don't know. It goes, I guess back to me and Chuba. we were doing a thing called, forward when we were like my last year of high school it turned from like foreshadow which was more emo into like dc stuff into forward we started getting into the straight edge stuff and um basically we were just playing in the barn and out in the woods in utah 
mm-hmm. have some friends over and swing on the rope swing. But uh, we, I was buddies with a bunch of skaters um, down in Salt Lake. We ended up, um, Chubba ended up joining Insight. They needed a drummer. They, they'd done a little bit before that. Um, and they were just kind of forming. I was friends with Jeremy way back, just from skateboarding and stuff. Um, and to make me not feel bad, they had a band. Uh, there was this other band called Better Way that needed a guitarist. So we talked about them when we talked to Insight because yeah. uh, Greg and there was a connection there with Greg Anderson, right? Yeah, like, I I talked to Greg Anderson like early, early on in this. <laughs> podcast i actually sat down with greg and jade at the revelation office and talked to them about angel wings and better way came up and then we asked insight <laughs> about it so what a what a yeah. web there yeah so sorry to interject yeah. but i was like oh, oh no. i know that i know that <laughs> <laughs> well there was this cool show it was basically the first time i met greg was we had a better way insight and then brotherhood from Seattle, which was Greg's thing, and uh, and the accused was headlining. <laughs> nice. His uh, brotherhood was touring with accused, which was a crazy bill. Yeah, yeah, because brotherhood oh. at that point's like a straight edge. You know, they're a straight oh, edge yeah. band. The accused are <laughs> like not. Um, and I, you know, I never, I always thought I was like, I should probably listen to the accused. I love Brotherhood. Yeah. Like, I think they're you know one of the most underrated bands of that. Yeah, era, you know, um, but I never heard the accused. So some listeners. Oh, really? Me, yeah. Yeah. Tell me I what had, to listen to. Like I had all this skate rock stuff. Um, so I think it's skate rock volume four or something has, you know, corrosion and conformity and the accused and septic death and all this yeah. really great stuff that we were listening to. Um, and I, I think all that stuff kind of was the stuff we were into before we kind of, you know, got into the New York hardcore stuff. And so it was mostly the DC stuff and, and this other, you know, skate core stuff anyway, but let's see if I can truncate it. I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but. You got. <laughs> yeah, just like you said, a little bit. Tell, just, tell uh, the story. Just, yeah. Tell the story so, though. People want to hear the story. Um, we kind of, Inside was going strong um, and better way kind of we, we were changing things up um, and we turned into to brainstorm. And then the singer left. Jeremy actually came on board there and Doug eventually. Um, so it was like me and Jeremy and Doug, this other guitarist, Andy Savar, who ended up doing a lot of cool things he moved to to huntington beach actually and i think he played in something like mind war or i don't know <laughs> do, you, do you guys know the huntington beach or that kind of i i, I, I currently live in orange county I, i've been here since yeah. like 91 or something like that 90 but i don't i don't know yeah. of mind war there was a mind rot here there was mm. like in the neurosis vein Over. but well, yeah. this was some dudes, I think Sterling, mm. who was in Inside Out, maybe maybe Mike Down. I know Andy was playing with Mike Down too, So, but 
I don't think he was in the, I don't know. Um, but anyway, we kind of brainstorm was happening and insight was happening. They, then they had some trouble. <laughs> Doug got a girl pregnant. Um, and he couldn't go on tour. Um, yeah, with his, he had this sweet red Ford Ranchero. Ladies loved him. And, uh, <laughs> so that was kind of a crazy time because they initially got Cubby. Um, Rob Hayworth came out and I think he started the tour with Insight. And then uh, Chuck Treast ended up finishing it with them to the at, back to Salt Lake. And then we switched it up and um, I played guitar, Jamie played guitar. And Jeremy played bass um, with Mark and Chubba. And that was when we went through California, played Riverside. And uh, I remember Santa Monica and just a bunch of small places, but made some cool connections there, far side guys and stuff. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> I, it was actually that tour, the ending of that tour, things were kind of crazy and, They'd been through some nutty stuff on the last tour, vans breaking down and and just stress. And um, Jeremy and Jaime kind of came to me, Jamie and Chuba, and they were like, let's do something with, like, you. Like, Jeremy wants to sing, because he'd been singing in Brainstorm with us. If you, I don't know if you've heard those tapes, or I think there's a seven-inch out there somewhere. No, I like the tape I, better. I, I I want to though I love like, <laughs> I love Jeremy singing in like in Handsome. Um, yeah, yeah. I know this is like much before that, but like I'm a huge yeah. Handsome. Well, fan it's kind of like the Iceberg Seven Inch. There's a definite link oh, yeah. there. So, I mean, so we were doing this, and it was super intense for like a year or so. We just started writing Iceburn stuff, um, and recorded for Victory um recorded the seven inch and then um right when we're going to do this 12 inch oh there's jordan um jeremy and jaime are like this is too much man we're gonna we're gonna do our own thing we kind of like we heard some pearl jam i think and (laughs) (laughs) the 12 inch being the uh fire on fire yeah um which i pronounce fire Fire, that actually makes much more sense. Uh, so the yeah, we uh, it was it was kind of a weird time because um, I was living with Jamie and he's just like this is too intense. Like every time we play, we want to just pass out, and I'm like, that's the point, man. Let's just give it all. And uh, so um, we decided. At that point, Doug had come back around. His kid was, you know, a year or so. And initially, Jeremy was going to play bass and sing. But then Doug came back. And Doug is such an amazing musician all around, kind of a savant. So, you know, his story is great by its own, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, But... I would say at that point it was like, I don't know, I guess I'll try to sing. Fuck. 
So is Jeremy the singer on the seven inch? Yeah. Okay, so the that's the uh, one. It's the two songs. It's on Victory, yep. the black and white cover, right? Yeah, Burn okay. All, yeah. Okay, and then on uh, the LP, you're singing. Yeah, we re- recorded all those, and we had a full LP written with the rest of the guys, and we just decided to do those songs in our way, and uh, I don't know. That's that's how fire happened, basically, in a crazy studio from uh, this dude that used to play drums for the Osmonds. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was nuts. He was on a decline. <laughs> <laughs> but he liked to get paid for people using his studio. Um, but we had we had the engineer was this guy from this band, the Bad Yodlers, who were super influential on us um in salt lake they were they're kind of like metallica but one of the dudes had studied classical theory so they had all of this kind of classical stuff in there um, okay and really cool some connections to um carl alvarez was one of the early singers who, I was I was actually oh, going to wow. say the name yeah. the name Bad Yodeler sounded really familiar. Yeah, and we know Carl and Stefan are yeah. Salt Lake guys, so there we go. So, yeah, and I grew up, you know, kind of watching those guys. They would come through with Descendants and later All. Yeah, so, uh, and Iceberg played with All, and yeah, they would always say come to their can, hometown. You can kind of really hear, especially with all when they got into the songs with the uh, crazy time signatures yeah. and jazz stuff. Like there's a there's a connection between this iceburn stuff and and that. Like you know, oh, makes sure. a bill of all an iceburn makes a lot more sense than you would think it would. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, what I guess my question leading into this uh, this LP. Uh, Rev 27 is like so what what were you guys going for like sound wise because you know like bands you know start off like ah we want to sound like you know SSD meets you know (laughs) whatever like what I can't place and one of the things I think that fascinates me about this record which full disclosure I'm I'm new to this album like one of the cool things about doing this podcast and especially getting past you know the initial 15 20 rev releases is there's going to be stuff that i haven't maybe heard as much and this record fascinates me because it's i i've never really heard anything like it i can't place the influence which is a cool thing right <laughs> but like so what what were you guys going for oh yeah, what about and fire in two? It's same, same question. I mean, that one I think was a little more straight ahead. I'm in the jail here, by the way, because that's the way I can get away from my kids. I work okay. uh, in the library in the jail, so we're here. Oh, uh, wow. yeah, okay. in the jail in my my office of sorts. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so. For definitely for Hephaestus, uh, I got turned on to Mahavishnu Orchestra, who um, 
I don't know. Basically from Raunch, at, uh, Brad Collins at Raunch Records. I mean, he would give me everything. He's probably responsible for a lot of things. He, uh, anything he thought, he'd be like, hey, check this out, you know. So um, he's kind of the godfather of this Salt Lake. He brought tons of bands in, I'm sure all the rev bands that played, you know, in the late eighties and stuff, he was doing those shows, um, before good old Stormy took over. But, um, yeah, a lot of Mahavishnu stuff. So we weren't really thinking of sound as much as, I don't know, kind of the overall music. We were translating it for our kind of, um, hardcore language that we'd, developed and um we were really kind of like in straight edge you have this kind of uh self-improvement positive mental attitude kind of thing and we were i think more applying it to uh expanding ourselves musically and and just trying to be the best musicians we could be even though we were still all learning in large degrees um, so we were kind of always pushing the music ahead of us and trying to catch up to it in a way. Um, and there's just a myriad of influences that came into that. And we all pretty much lived together and would just play all the time as we were working this stuff up. So Cheba always wanted to do these big concept things. And, uh, that's kind of how, Faced as came to be we had the idea of we're kind of like blacksmiths work we're working with uh metal and you know emotional fire or something mm -hmm. we're just um kind of ugly like a faced us maybe but <laughs> i don't know cash is pretty cute actually <laughs> he was handsome so there's the four movements iron yeah brick fly swatter and blacksmith sure. so you just said a little bit but could you go into that a little more in detail about what the um yeah. what the thought was behind that i mean they all had kind of layers in a way um and it was meant to be cyclical blacksmith and iron have very similar similar themes you know the objects compared to the to the person working it or whatever um, I think iron is more became about, uh, like wanting to be tough or wanting to be, um, kind of bulletproof or something, but you know, when it's iron and I iron versus me, like, um, I'm going to lose kind of thing. So it was more about vulnerability to, to that and. And then Brick was, I mean, I could go into depth on each of them pretty crazily, but. Um. Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, please. I mean, this is like, this is why we we do this is to get deep on the records that maybe yeah. you're not going to get from, you know, a Google dive. And this is right. a mysterious record to a yeah, lot of very, people. Yeah, so this is cool to, to hear it from the source. Yeah. 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 Well. So please. For sure. Well, so we have the Mahavishnu influence. <laughs> if, if you've ever listened, you can probably pick 
pick out a lot of uh, things in there. Um, but let's see. I would say moving on to brick, like even so we were trying different scales, trying different things. If you play a whole tone scale on the guitar, you kind of, you know, if you have each fret as a whole tone and then when you do the whole tone scale, they actually alternate. So it, it almost sets up this pattern that looks like a brick um, in a way. Okay. Uh, if you were to kind of put a box around each fret that you played. Um, so we tried to stick within that scale to make it like that idea. So that was kind of the musical foundation. And then um, besides, I don't know, that one probably even has some influences from bands like Slint. I, I definitely think Iron did as well. Um, we're big into that Slint Spider-Land Spider record. Mm -hmm. And I think also I could say Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger had just come out. Oh, yeah. So we yeah. are absorbing all these things. Melvin's had just released Bullhead, and we were really big into that. So um, we were into the kind of the odd stuff. And so everything on there has some kind of odd meter. Um, I was going to say Melvin's was one of the things I heard. And cool. um, also, I heard a lot of later Black Flag. Like uh, I heard yeah. a lot of later Black Flag in the um in the Blacksmith. Yeah. If you're gonna separate into four movements, For the sure. Blacksmith that Creation Seven is one of the tracks where I where that was probably the only time I thought I recognized where this was influenced by, and I thought it was maybe process of weeding out era Black Flag stuff. I don't know if that's correct or not, but well, I mean we lived on that stuff, yeah. So I'm sure it totally came out, and my. So me playing more, maybe more solo stuff, you know, I was coming from the Greg Ginn school, but then trying to play, you know, like these horn players that I was listening to. Um, I met Branford Marsalis and, you know, hung out with him, which was amazing and turned me on to a lot of Miles Davis that I hadn't heard and, and culture. Okay. And everything. So I was kind of, and I was transcribing those for, for like school stuff I was doing. So you went I would to school to for music theory, right? Yeah. Okay. So this was kind of, let me see. I was just kind of starting into that. I had started in electrical engineering and I was a couple of years in and I was kicking my ass mm -hmm. and uh, I was sick of it. And I just, I took a music class and I loved it and I got, A's and I was like I just want to learn about this stuff you know I didn't think a degree would really <laughs> help me in any way and didn't see a path there so I was like as long as I have a group degree I can maybe get a decent job yeah. at the library yeah um, but yeah so I was concurrently studying a lot of stuff and that's probably where a lot of the ideas did that degree did, did anything from school make its way into the band oh yeah all the time and i think a, a more little later with like the stravinsky stuff that we did that next record um so on this one i don't know it was still a little more 
rough. But yeah, even the lyrics, you know, um, I think there's a lyric in Blacksmith uh, about the hammer falls like a tree in the sixth. And the, there was a, that re- refers to like Mahler's sixth symphony. Um, there's a moment in there. So that is so cool. Like, yeah. that, like, you know, I, I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking, you know, I always think like, I'm really like well-rounded musically. Like I like like youth of today and I like, you know, REM. <laughs> and and I'm you, yeah. I'm here and you talk about this stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't know shit. That's kind of how I felt. I was like, I just, I want to make it about learning about music. So that's kind of been a pursuit of my life from, you know, from the weird school stuff and jazz stuff into world, different world musics, ethnomusicology and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can kind of, I don't know. I think Chuba had a lot to do with um, these records and his ideas. Um, lyrically, he, he would contribute um, a lot of the words as well. Okay. Um, is I he even, is he Joseph Joseph Chad Chad Smith? Smith? Okay, yeah. so that's that's Chubb. I see he's the drummer. On this. So, sorry, I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Chubb is the drummer, and um, he's the one that played in Insight okay. uh, through all that. And me, so he and I go back even before the Jeremy and Mark everybody connection. Mm-hmm. The uh, as they call it the Unity Crew back then, but so he was a little dude with a big blonde mohawk. <laughs> we went to high school together, um, and just started playing together. But he's a great dude, and we're playing together now. Even um, so, we can talk about that later. But okay, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I know you're doing some stuff, and I know there's actually a new ice burn, but yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that at, okay. at the end. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so he had going. a bunch of ideas. Brick, Brick was all about, uh, really about language and not being able to speak. When I was younger, I think I had a lot of troubles expressing myself or whatever, you know? So, so it was kind of brick was that wall that kind of kept it back. And so, if you listen to that, there's kind of a part at the end with this deconstruction where we just kind of imagine ourselves tearing down the walls and okay. all of that. So we were taking things a little more liber- literally and trying to do those musically, I guess. Yeah. So we didn't talk about fly swatter yet. Yep. So fly swatter. That was... <laughs> I know the genesis of it was me sitting around in my hot house and uh, kind of trying to kill flies and and thinking about that. Um, And I think it's more about that kind of transformative um, experience again. And we bring in a little bit of um, Greek mythology stuff because that's where it all really came from. Chubbub actually majored in... uh, philosophy and greek studies okay so he was bringing a lot of these ideas in um and for me 
Yeah, Fly Swatter was cool. I think that has a little more Soundgarden influence or Melvin's, maybe you can hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of all of those songs have a very s- kind of similar structure. Definitely Iron and Fly Swatter, where you have almost a verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of, at least the A, B, A, B kind of A, B, C thing going on. Okay. And then we'll usually go into a completely um, improvised part. I mean, it's it's based on rhythms and key signatures kind of, but but we definitely were, would wing a lot of that, especially live. I wanted to know how you practice these songs. When you were getting ready to go in the studio, how would you, <laughs> yeah. would you practice yeah. them <laughs> as movements or would you just... Yeah. Could you tell us about, you know, getting ready to record the <laughs> yeah, LP? We definitely would play the whole thing through and which is how we recorded each, each one of those four chunks um, was recorded like that. There's some pieces in between that we later came back with. So it was all on ADATs and <laughs> recorded to eight tracks. Um, and then we bounced the drums to two so we could have some more room which was kind of a common practice. And on those, I did like vocals and weird things and maybe, and one extra guitar that comes in and out. But basically it was just one guitar, one bass track. The bass was actually straight into the board, which we were like, oh, I guess. But so I actually pulled up the dats and my friend, Adney Patterson, uh, has transferred them and we were looking at Hephaestus like trying to do a remix. He reamped the bass, like just ran that DI track through a bass amp mm-hmm. and it sounds so much different. So I know the sound of that record has always kind of bugged me in a way, but okay. it was, you know, it turned out like it did. I think the vinyl sounds a lot better than the CD <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, maybe it got mastered differently. Mm. Um, okay. Greg had a question about the cassette version. Yeah, yeah okay. because I had my friend Chris uh, Wyatt, who does a podcast actually called Nickel City, um, all about like Buffalo bands. People should check out. But um, uh, he said that the in his opinion the optimum way to listen to this album he said that it's basically like a song that never ends that you yeah. need to listen to it on cassette <laughs> with auto reverse there you go and it just plays from beginning to end it loops over starts you know and and that's the way it's meant to be taken in yeah because on the yeah, vinyl was- obviously it's like you know like i'm holding the vinyl here it's it's one movement or or whatever you want to call it per side yeah um so that's a little different cuz you're you're kind of breaking it down by f- flipping it over whereas when you do the cassette i mean i guess you could do it on you know streaming yes cuz on on spotify which is how i listened to it this past week you just it just plays all the way through and it's actually unless you're watching your phone or whatever, you can't see that it's onto the next track, the next part of the movement, yeah. right? Well, so it just, good. it plays seamlessly all the way through. Nice. Yeah. Cause I know we had some issues. <laughs> we were crazy. We thought let's put a track number, you know, like every 
cool part or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. There's like 20 tracks per song on the CD yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. The Spotify has uh, has it broken down to I think like 28 yeah. tracks, okay. <laughs> but it has like you know it'll say like Iron and then yeah. whatever the yeah. Like how, but but I noticed. In the lyric sheet here, it's even broken down like that. Like it shows all the individual, yeah. Track, which is, I mean, that's like I said. I just I can't even fathom as someone who's played in bands. I just can't even fathom writing something like this, let alone playing it live and recording it. Like it, it's just it's fascinating. Rush twenty one twelve has has you know it's one song but it or one track but i think there's a bunch of uh you know outline sections in there did that have any influence on you at all like that older stuff oh yeah and not me i know chubba was the huge rush head and i think a lot of the concept stuff for his faces came from from his influence and his ideas um but yeah i mean i loved rush i was trying to think of and Pink Floyd as well, um, those kind of things with the more expansive. And I started getting into weird prog stuff after that as well. So, which is King Crimson, other things like that became a, a bigger influence. So I was still finding out about these things. And uh, I don't know, it, I guess it's kind of my own filter that, I take in what I like and and then turn it into some kind of iceberg thing, maybe, mm-hmm. or it you know, comes out. Oh. I th- I think that the the early '90s slash mid '90s was a time of experimentation for everyone, especially musically, and there was a lot of new roads being paved, right? A lot of experimentation, and then on top of that, you've got hardcore kids and punks who maybe were tired of playing the same chords, playing to the same 50 people or whatever. And it's like, hey, I want to play something heavier. I want to play something more technical. I want to play something fucking weird. And so that's the story you just told us is that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I'm thinking too, just based on the, the time frame of this was recorded probably in like, it came out 93, so it was recorded 92, 93. And you think about, what was popular then was a lot of that more heavy, um, you know, not even just in, in hardcore, just in music in general. It was like the era of Nirvana and Soundgarden, but also sure. you had Slint, like you said. and mm-hmm. um, Dinosaur you Jr. Know, yeah, all, band, all that all kind of stuff. Jane's Addiction. <laughs> just had to throw that in there. Sure. <laughs> so, I got a Jordan. question that the... Um, so iron firing and um iron and you know that blacks was there any connection between the the concepts of the two albums did did wait did chubba did you say chubba was the classics major who yeah yeah that's funny because then he's like the neil pert (laughs) (laughs) yeah you wrote the lyrics though i i he had a hand in some of them. He would bring me lines and, and do that. Okay. And it's funny, the lyric sheet doesn't even like sometimes on the lyric sheet, we would put stuff that wasn't even in the songs and we would leave certain things out. We, we weren't really trying to um, 
have a here you can sing along kind of lyric sheet. So I think there's one thing in there where I had taken this poem and and cut it all up and then drew drew random words and so kind of stuff like that from the literary world just to so like William Burroughs cut up kind of thing yeah in a way like kind of random taking words and wow I mean I I think there's a subconscious influence like that and so those were things we were trying improvisation and um, which became a huge part of my life and the band. So, yeah. but yeah, 90, I, we did it in 92 for sure. Um, it was recorded. We had, uh, so we did fire and went out on a tour and in the middle, um, Doug, who had a, you know, young kid at home, he ended up flying home from New Jersey or something just out of the blue. And we still had a bunch of shows left. Um, so uh, we were just kind of like, oh, man, I think we drove down and hung out with Chubba's parents who lived in Georgia. Came back um, across the country uh, and we had a, the rest of the leg was in California, Seattle, whatever. Um, and so we actually were talking about getting Cash Tolman to play with us. Um, you'll know him from later. He's like with Civ and, uh, then he was in rival Rival schools. Yeah. Yeah. And played with, you know, Gavin Rosdale and some stuff and Pete Trainer, I think, or Chris, Chris Trainer. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so Cash was only 15 or so at the time when we were, or maybe even 14. Uh, wow. his, band, his band Search would open up. They were like a little Salt Lake hardcore thing. Um, you can probably find the Search 7-inch. Um, and uh, in that band, there were some other dudes like Jim Kimball who – I don't know. He's kind of a solid guy that went on to play bass with a bunch of people um, okay. with Jason Farrell and some things. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were like this young crew uh, that was kind of the generation below younger than us. Um, they kind of grew up watching us and uh, Cash definitely loved Doug's playing and was super inspired by that. So, um, I think on that next tour, actually, Jamie, who was the other guitarist, played bass because he knew all the the tunes. But Cash came on tour with us and uh, just kind of watched and learned. Um, it was him and Andy Patterson, who who was a drummer, played in Shelter for a time on just touring and stuff, I think. Um, but Andy's done a ton of stuff, played in Inside Out on their little on their kind of reunion tour um, that we were on. So all these dudes were kind of around. um, And uh, eventually, yeah, Cash was coming over. He's like 15. He was still living at home, but me and Chubba lived (laughs) together at a house. And so he would come over and we just work on this stuff, you know, nonstop. 
um, getting ready for the studio. The the idea was go in there and play it. So and, we didn't ask Jordan how did it come about with uh, Revelation approaching yeah. Iceburn to work together. Uh, well, Gentry mentioned Stormy Shepherd, so she booked um, she booked Iceburn and was friends, and you know she's just one of those people that was. Um, you know, she kind of managed her friend's bands. I don't know. I let, let Gentry cover that. But anyway, she approached us because uh, we knew uh, we knew her through other bands she was booking into another. And, um, you know, she was Salt Lake booking agent. I think she booked some friends' bands in, in shows in Salt Lake, like Rocket from the Crypt. Oh, nice. Bands like that. Anyway, so she sent me Fire On, and I was not familiar with... Uh, you know, I, I wasn't that familiar with Insight and Iceburn yet, but I had recently, or you know, uh, I, I liked that Carl Stalling record that probably came out three years before Firing, and there were some samples from that. Oh yeah, and, and so then I was like, all right, this, this I got to listen to this, and it was just like nothing I'd ever heard. Just you know, like all, all the good things I liked uh, about um the melvins you know i didn't i i don't I, when you mentioned the melvins and you know crazy timings that's over my head i just like the way the guitar sounds and and stuff the, the heaviness sure. of the melvins and and nirvana you know and bands like that um i started listening to in 89 um thanks to somebody who ended up in a band with Greg Anderson. Do you, do you know Guy who was in some band with Greg Anderson? I think he obsessed. He was, yeah, yeah, he was in that, the obsessed too, but he was got, in um, Goat Snake. Pete Stahl and yeah, Goat Snake. We get our scream mentioned, Jason. There we there go. There you go. Goats, I fucking <laughs> How to get I, it in there. Still screaming. I love Goat Snake. <laughs> so Guy led me to listening to some different stuff and, and and some i don't know how that came up but anyway so iceburn sounded like okay these guys are in in this world that i'm i'm not that familiar with but i like i like the sound I, you know I've, I've liked that kind of stuff for a few years like even you know anyway i won't go too far into that but any, so anyway i like that record and um and that was it i just you know um and I th basically Stormy took care of the rest. She, she taught, she was kind of the go between. I don't even know if I met Gentry until um, it came time to do the artwork and more of the technical stuff. Okay. Yeah, so, totally. So that was it. And, and then I, I had a kind of, a, I was about to start typing something um, on the side notes here, but uh, so Gentry, you got the tracks for Hephaestus and you said it was recorded on ADAT. Yeah. And everyone complains about Ada, and I, I could have asked this to any any engineer, but I'll, since since it's a record I'm sort of familiar with, how when you pulled the the music off of there, how does it sound? Like, did did the Ada itself mess up the recording, or is it is it just a pain to work with? Yeah, it didn't at all. Um, it it was pretty easily easy to pull off actually, and I got a. I think it was a $40 just ADAT off eBay that they were like, I don't know, the power button doesn't go on and off, but it works. And so, yeah, me and Andy Patterson just transferred it a few months ago. 
Um, and he's been slowly kind of just working on it when he can. But it was crazy because what I have, what we ended up with is a DAT, an ADAT. So it has drums are two tracks, guitar is one, uh, bass is one, and then there's some extra stuff, vocals and other guitar stuff. And so most of the recording is already kind of bounced down. And I know Tony used to do this thing, Tony uh, Korologos. Of course, we went with the Greek guy because we have to keep the Greek thing going. Okay. But uh, so he would take, you know, a guitar track, pan it hard this way, and then take the same thing, delay it a little bit, and pan it hard the other way. So you get kind of this stere fake stereo spread going on. So that's, it kind of thickens the guitars or makes them a little more open so it's not just like a me um so we're gonna try and reconstruct that and we were talking about working with um southern lord greg anderson and with jordan to to do um some kind of re-release reissue remaster of of this record of Hastus um for the 30 years which is coming up uh, in a year or two, I think. Wow! Yes, that's nuts. And the and Guy Pinhas, or I think that's how you say. It. I'm not going to say, but Guy's a a good buddy too. He does Southern Lord Europe, and uh, Greg Anderson does Southern Lord. You know, in here, mm -hmm. who was in Engine Kid and blah 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 Brotherhood. So um, there's all sorts of connections there, but. Um, goat snake connections as well. We all love goat snake. <laughs> yeah, like this is a real like. I feel like we keep saying this on the like we're like this is a real left turn for Rev. This one is a real <laughs> left turn. Like everything up to this record was kind of like okay, like into another's wild, but it made sense. It's Richie. It's Drew. Ray and Porcel yeah. seven inch like that's weird. Well, it's it's Ray and Porcel like this is totally out of left field. It's no you know it's it's not it's guys from first. The uh, it's just their first record on Rev. Wait till wait till the <laughs> I know, I, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm and I'll say this: this has me excited to like take the take the journey further because I know that you have another double LP uh, in oh yeah uh, a, a couple of. Uh, a couple of years and then um you know you have the ep and the split and all that but yeah um so i know jason had brought up uh on the side here did you know immediately like this was going to be a double lp did i <laughs> did well, i guess you and jordan like yeah. did you know like wow we we signed their first records for us is going to be a double lp we just we were we're like, we're going to use as much um, of the CD as possible, 72 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. And we're like, how long can we make it? Okay. And then we did pre-plan, like, how do we make this fit um, on vinyl then? And vinyl was all, I mean, yeah, people were saying vinyl is going away way back then. But, um, but we did plan it that way. We were like, yeah. Because you notice all the songs pretty much fit, and right, I think um, that had to that had to do with the ADATs too. They're only forty 
I think. Um, so you could maybe we did a, a song per, but the craziest, one of the weirdest things was uh, mastering the ADAT to a continuous thing. We, I think we bounced down the mix or as we were mixing it, we, so we ran it and then we had these little fillers that we had recorded and we'd mix those down to two tracks. I think uh, just kind of, and what would happen is we're recording those and then we'd have to push play on this right at the right time. So it lined up and then we'd get the other one. And so and you had to do it right, you know, especially up to the end when it was like 74 minutes, it's been recording and bouncing back. Um, it was kind of unnerving, um, but I kind of, I used to miss those days of being more hands-on in the studio all the time. Uh, like actually helping with the sliders and, you know, you had to plan out those moves as you're, kind of recording it down, bouncing it down, mastering, helping out the engineer and stuff. So um, I think we came back around to that uh, later 2010-ish or so, working with some other people on tape. And so that was, that was kind of great. Um, I think music got weird there in the middle where everybody was doing it digitally and computers and stuff. But yeah. I definitely know it made me lazier. <laughs> uh, did this come out on cassette? Will seventy nine minutes fit on a cassette? Yeah. That's how I. That's how I first heard uh, it. I think. Oh wait, I'm an idiot because I, I I said it had to be on cassette. I think, I, I think you can get up to hundred and twenty minutes on a cassette. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't yeah, edit all, that out. Let everyone know how stupid <laughs> I am. Do your homework. Not, not yeah. well. One hundred and twenty minute cassettes. They, I think those that length. They actually had to use a thinner tape so it would fit in the shell. Uh huh. Wouldn't sound as good. burn. I don't think yeah. they had to use that. I don't think it, it was long enough where they used the thinner tape. They used them. They used the same thickness as nineties. I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are the kind of questions that they would. Yeah, you, know, you had to. That was something that they would ask you at the when you ordered the cassettes. Uh -huh. They took cassettes pretty seriously, uh, as far as the manufacturing goes. Yeah. They still do. Got to be yeah. honest. <laughs> I still have a, I have a relationship with A to Z Audio, and I still got to talk to them all the time about cassette pressing in stuff. Yeah, yeah. You cannot get you can't get chrome tape anymore. Apparently, yeah. A lot of. A lot of different tape stuff. There was a shortage a couple of years ago, and they thought that it, they were going to have to stop making it. But is uh, it back? You can get Chrome again. I don't think you can get Chrome right now, or maybe nobody in America is producing it that I know of. Uh, there's a Canadian uh, tape pressing plant that does a lot of weird stuff. Maybe they have you know that material up there in the Great White North. Who knows? Uh, Jason, yeah, I think that was a f one of the first questions that Gentry asked me is what's the most we can fit on a CD. <laughs> we never got a, we didn't get a straight answer out of the CD plants either. They, I think the answer was, you know, the red book, you know, the specification says 72 point something, but, uh, somebody, whoever was actually going to do it for us said 79, you know, or I just told them, Maybe Gentry told me it was going to be 79 minutes. 
And they said, okay, yeah, we can do that. And that's what ended up happening, I think. But they, they gave us the warning that some players, if, they're, if they followed the specification perfectly, it wouldn't play in those players. So, oh, crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because okay. it says it's, according to uh, Spotify, it's one hour and 19 minutes. So, it, But I remember, yeah, like, yeah. getting maybe, like, oh, yes. Metallica or something, one of their later albums, like, Load or something, and it was, like, contained 78 minutes of music because, you know, it was the CD era where it was trying to put everything on pushing the limits um, so yeah. i knew that was i knew it was around i knew it was less than 80 so you got it in just under <laughs> under the wire <laughs> under the wire um but yeah jason didn't you have a question about oh the, yeah i wanted i wanted to see if you could tell us about the uh artwork that rich jacobs did and sure if you gave him the concept of the record before he uh drew that illustration we definitely, the weird thing about that was he was on a Mormon mission at the time. He uh, was doing his mission for the Mormon church, or they call it the Church of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, so he got assigned to L.A., I think even East L.A. So he's doing this Mormon mission in East L.A., um, getting big gulps thrown at him by, you know, the locals. Um, as he told me later uh, on his bike. I love big gulps, by the way. Yeah. God. <laughs> Jason does too. <laughs> Unrelated, but go ahead. <laughs> um, not when they're flying at you. Um, he, so he went to a craft store and just grabbed some super simple um, inks and stuff. And we'd been talking back and forth about, um, you know, the concepts of it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, he had all the song titles and everything. So I don't even know. He might have had the music. Maybe we had the music done by then, by the time he was working on it. Um, but so he kind of incorporated all the ideas you see the, you know, the I beam of iron and the, and the fly swatter floating and some other things. He did a bunch of different art and, you know, he was just on his downtime and his mission. <laughs> okay. Producing that stuff. And we didn't, yeah, we didn't even really give him anything besides the music to go on. It wasn't maybe like, here's the title and what it means or something like that, but uh, didn't go super deep into any direction for him we've always kind of just like let him do his thing or even in later times we actually wrote music to fit with you know some of his art instead okay but then on the inside there's the different version of the yeah okay and that's the greek uh go ahead if you uh, we just put that on there but yeah that was kind of uh maybe a test run or practice or just and we were like, why don't we have like the kind of inversion of the ghost version or the, we'll put the Greek font on there. Chubba was really keen on that. And that's okay. something we're doing on the new record. I had a question about the Iceburn, I, I guess you could call it a logo. Yeah. It looks like, a, is this the first appearance of that? 
It may have been, yeah. Um, I know we we used it on shirts and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so there's this dude, Albie Olson, um, from New Jersey, <laughs> came out to Salt Lake, got in trouble maybe, and was living with his grandma. But he was into skating and all the cool shit that we were bad brains mm-hmm. and you know underdog whatever um so i actually played with him um we did some bands he was cool graphic artist he later did like a t-shirt company um but he he kind of came up with this logo for us one time out of the blue and so we always try to say you know the eye logo we call it or Okay. Yeah, the totem um, is was by him, and it's it's kind of become an iconic thing. Um, it's nice to have something. Yeah. I know yeah. people with a tattooed on them. That's is what it, I was going to ask if you have it tattooed because we were talking about tattoos earlier. I do not. Um, does Aaron Edge have it tattooed on his whole arm? Yeah, Aaron does. <laughs> I remember this. Oh, I wish I. What was the guy? Maybe Jordan knows in uh, New York that got on his leg. He used to do shows. Um, really super New York show promoter dude. Um, I don't know. He did a show for us, but he came up and it was pretty fresh from his kneecap all, all the way down. Wow. Oh, damn. Nice. Just like, I fucking love you guys. You know how bad this hurt? <laughs> you know how bad this hurt? <laughs> But I do it for you. <laughs> if anyone listen, if anyone listening knows who this, let us know. Is, yeah. Please let us His know. Name is escaping me. It's it's yeah. always cool. I mean, to have a logo. About, but I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah. I want to say it starts with a V or something, but who knows? Okay. <laughs> he right. was he was super New York. So you're talking about shows when you toured off this record. Who were you playing with? um at that time let's see into another actually a lot um because stormy was booking into another and like we knew richie from way back um underdog coming through and youth of today later um and i don't know there was all sorts of weird little connections um just because bands are traveling through and Salt Lake was kind of just this spot you had to had to go, or you're driving for you know a couple of days. Um, <laughs> so into another had played there a bit. Um, Stormy was also broken with Farside, who I yeah. So weren't into another was a couple records before us, right? Well, yeah. no, cre- yeah, creepy EP oh, was that. right before this, and then Farside uh, Rochambeau before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Farside Iceburn both played that Inside Out uh, yeah. tour in the tour in what ninety three. Yeah. Oh, That's so that okay. was around the time of this. What was that? What was that like? We've that talked about a- it a bit on the Inside Out episode. Oh yeah, I mean that was really cool. Actually, Mark Hayworth and Rob lived with me and Chuba had moved out by then there's this kind of crazy house we had uh super cheap rent but i remember you know mark up there with his bowl of cereal and soy milk and 
he was an intense dude, amazing guy. But um, okay. I love Mark, Rob. Yeah, we had such a good time, and those are great guys. Um, so I I don't know how that came about. We were kind of Rob went to college out in. Oh yeah, he went right? to the U. Yep. And Mark was just hanging out, I guess, playing basketball with me. And um, is Rob the older brother? Mark's older. Mark's older. Oh, wait. Yeah, Mark's older, <laughs> taller. It's like Mark's like 6'4 or something. And uh, both my younger brothers are taller than me, so that means nothing. Plays baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think down. my brother Tyler has a couple inches on me as well. Yeah, upside down. <laughs> but he has no hair, so. Yeah. <laughs> Same. This. No. But. Um, I like to tease him. Yeah, um, like, so what a nine. And I feel like that is, that kind of lineup is so 90s. That's so 93, in the, man. It's in like, the best yeah, way. Like that's talked, what I miss. Yeah. We've what talked else? a lot about those kind of lineups where it's like, you know, ashes, outspoken, uh, anything together, anything goes. Yeah. Well, there was another even weirder band on there. What was after operation Ivy, the big common rider rancid. rancid. Yeah. Rancid. rancid were on there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. On the, so on these the are all, show. Mm-hmm. yeah, this was all a stormy thing. Okay. So stormy That's went on. Um, I mean, she went to middle school with me when I was, um, up in Salt Lake. So, um, she went on to book offspring and green day mm-hmm. when they were blowing up. So, you know, she was kind of definitely made her millions there no i don't know but <laughs> i'd love to talk to i'd love to talk to her for uh, yeah you should looking she's the sweetest in the world i put it out in the universe yeah. yeah i've got what might be a rhetorical question but in your experience were hardcore shows open or closed-minded to iceburn playing a style that was different i don't know i mean it maybe feels more open back then. I think the energy of it um, was something. Mm-hmm. I think we definitely evolved or to a weird place where nobody could relate um, later in our lives. Um, kind of. But it was purposeful in a way, um, <laughs> which is strange to think of right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we weren't really, we were, we were kind of selfish little dicks doing it for ourselves and didn't really care yeah liked it or not it's the best way to do it yeah i mean it really is like yeah and and then you know you can because of that you're able to push the envelope and you know hopefully from people like i said i'm new i'm new to the ice burn train but after like spending time listening to this record i really dig it because i do like a lot of that stuff you mentioned like, like and jordan mentioned like the melvins and um you know the 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 heavier side of stuff and this scratches that itch but also has that like jazzy feel to it like it's kind of all over the map um in in like in like a cool way the funny thing about it is even though iceburn is definitely more experimental you know on on paper than those other bands i think into another far side and and engine kid also lived by that same thing we don't care 
what we, we you know they they knew what they wanted to hear and that's what they made and that's, yeah that's cool to hear that you guys were doing that same thing and I, it seemed you know it seems obvious to me but mainly because of all the directions you went later not in this not this album in particular but that anyway so i'm just saying you sort of you do fit even though the bill doesn't seem like it makes sense you fit in philosophically and i, I think that's part of why everyone got along so well yeah and i think there's connections with you um moving to huntington beach you know far side and that orange county scene um and um then the connections with stormy of course but we like iceburn the idea of iceburn came i think was born in uh huntington beach at the end of our tour with insight hanging out in uh scott sundahl's like trailer behind a boat um <laughs> it, it was in a boat like repair place repo- repair place yeah yeah. And they used to sleep in the boats sometimes or something like that. Yeah. I, weird. I didn't live there then. I know. <laughs> but yeah, you moved there after. Um, but I think like we formed a lot of connections there. And it turns out the Sundahl family moved to Salt Lake. Um, they were all part of the sloth group, which, you know, that whole inside out and everything else around there. They were a bunch of crazies, almost like jackass before that was around. <laughs> <laughs> Proto jackass. Yeah, straight a bunch of crazy straight edge kids being jackasses. Yeah, if you um, watch uh, on YouTube, the runs is all of those videos on there, and it is just like fucking <laughs> fucking around and going to hardcore shows. Yeah. So I see a connection, definitely from Far Side. You know who. Um, Rob became a roommate <laughs> and then even to engine kid, cause Greg and I go way back. And then every time I go to Seattle, you know, we're crashing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time they came through, we're playing with them. And then we started touring with engine kid not long after this, probably, probably pretty shortly after this within a year or so we were, some of the shows were definitely with, uh, into another I remember um, I, but we would get booked on lots of crazy stuff so um, how did, did you meet Rich through him booking your bands earlier in Denver wherever he lived or where did he live when you met how did you meet Rich? Rich Rich was in Denver but the main connection definitely came that first Brotherhood show I think uh, he was on the road with Brotherhood as like a roadie because he put out their record, I think initially, and um, and, and you, you you played with Brotherhood in Salt Lake or something. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it earlier. No, um, no. It was Brotherhood, Better Way, Insight, and The Accused. <laughs> That's great. So there's yeah. there's a good bill for you. But Rich Denver's like kind of the closest place you could go from Salt Lake. Maybe Boise, but Boise wasn't really happening. Um. And they had a little scene there. And so like our earlier bands, Insight and everything, would go out there, like, say, instead, <laughs> play Salt Lake. And then we would follow them to, to Denver and play the Denver show with them as well. 
Um, and then, so we met a lot of the Denver dudes that way. And then Rich actually ended up going to BYU for a while, which is a university like a half hour south of, of where we are. And so he would come up on the weekends, go to shows and stuff. So, so Rich was living here for a bit. And actually the Dan Armstrong guitar that I had played on all, almost all the Iceburn stuff. Um, I got that from Rich and it went through some crazy times, but it eventually ended up back with Rich. And this is Rich, this is Rich Rich, who for? Rich Jacobs. Oh, who did the, okay. Yep. The artwork. Yeah. And he was a big part of it. I don't know if he did other art for you, Jordan, or was he just a good buddy too? (laughs) Well, I, I met him. I don't know if I met him through you, but right around the time uh, Stormy uh, was was putting us together, um, I met he basically knocked on the door while we were working on the Into Another layout for um, Creepy EP, which is funny because everything that Richie taught me, you know, like I we taught ourselves how to use all these Photoshop and layout tools and then you guys were the guinea pig. You were the first one where uh, I did it by myself or with, you know, Dennis, Dennis, who ran uh, uh, records. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So he helped with, the, with the lab. But anyway, we, that was one of our first records where we, you know, just on our own, no, no professional guidance. And that's part of probably why the color of the illustration is so weird, you know, like the <laughs> guy is so pink because we, you know, color correction was just not even a word. I didn't, I didn't know what, how to make that scan look correct. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so that's Rich basically introduced himself and, you know, we've been f- friends ever since. Um, and, and yeah, he's done so much artwork. I can't remember what he's done for Rev and other labels. Yeah. I, yeah. I still, yeah. Some of my favorite artwork is stuff he's done for you. Um, that, that just the, the label art on that ascend record that, you know, <laughs> I forgot about that yeah. elephant or something. That's just so, so great. But yeah, uh, uh, I keep, um, I got to find anyway. Yeah. He's got, <laughs> I still have a lot of stuff that he drew that for, I just something that he drew for far side that never got used for anything. And, Ooh. You know, he he's he's done a lot for a lot of people. I guess to sort of wrap up, because luckily we're gonna get to talk about more. Hopefully, hopefully you'll talk to us again. Oh, yeah. We have some other uh releases down the down the pike. Um but one thing we do here on this podcast is we go through hot tracks where we'll say like you know, a favorite song, whether it's uh, you know, one that you like to listen to or write or play. I'll say for this per- for this record personally, as far as hot tracks, like I couldn't really pick one because to me it's one track. Like I couldn't, this isn't something where I could put like a mix. Like I have to listen to it and I've listened to it a bunch in prep for this episode. And I mean, there's different, the, I guess in theory, you could pick one of the movements as a hot sure. track, so, but I'm going to say for the first time in his, I, I don't, I don't have a hot track cause I, I enjoy the whole thing, but I feel like it really has to be listened to from beginning to end. Um, 
And then so, beginning a little bit again. Yeah. And then beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. So, yeah. so I can't, cause I can't even really pick between the different movements um, because I wouldn't be able to just like take that chunk and listen to it. Whereas like with, you know, a far side record, just cause that's the one we did last. Like I can be like, Oh, I'm going to make a mix. I'm going to put worlds on there, you know? So I don't, yeah, we weren't thinking that way. Yeah. Definitely. Like I don't have, to me, this isn't a shuffle or a mix album. Yeah. You got to start at the beginning yeah. and you're on in for the whole ride. We didn't ask what's the single for this record. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but if someone has a hot track, by all means, go for it. Funny because we tried to make some, we made these radio edits for a later record for Metatavolutions, which is basically another giant palindrome of, you know, music. So uh, hopefully we'll get to discuss that one. Um, for me, I think Iron has been one that we come back to more often maybe than, than anything else. Yeah. Like, uh, and, we, and we've played all the other ones live. Brick's a little harder to pull off, and we've been working because we're thinking maybe we'll play some of these uh, at the 30-year mark at least. Just play yeah. the whole thing. Just play, play the, the record. Whole whole thing. Thing. Yeah. So, that was my question. When you, when you write a set list, would you just say, boom, we're going to do Iron, then we're going to do Brick, and then you would just play them all the way through? Or yeah, live, would you just pick, pick songs from, from yeah. each movement? I mean, if we had time to work on it, sometimes we'd truncate it or sometimes we wouldn't, we just get up on stage and say, all right, let's do this. And then, cause if you have like three things that take the whole set, then yeah, it's a little easier. Jam it out. But, I think that the, uh, the brick section is my favorite of oh, wow. the record. Um, the most interesting to me, like going back through it. Um, I hadn't re- listened to this record for a really long time and I, I heard a lot of things that maybe influenced other bands later on, interestingly, like Bloodlets, uh, maybe Isis, you know, kind of these like hardcore adjacent bands, kids that had been involved in hardcore at some point and then expanded and did other things that were heavier. Um, and Jordan, you mentioned something about a single. Um, did any of these tracks from this record end up on like a, like a sampler. I know that the label did a lot of samplers over the years. Did anything from Hephaestus? It must've been. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I would have to look it up, but I, I would assume there's an ice burn track on that. In, in flight. flight. There is, but right. it's from uh medit. I'm not even going to try <laughs> medit evolutions. It's, it's from that. That was the only song that I knew. And, you know, in flight program came out 97 a 16 year old me wasn't really ready for you're not ready you're not ready especially you (laughs) yeah especially me yeah Yeah. so like i i wasn't like i wasn't ready for it now i'm ready well yeah when the faces came out we were not really we were still the most bare bones of a a hardcore label you know we we didn't have i don't think we had like our, our videos were not uh, we made videos for every record at that point i think but none of them ever saw the light of day if you weren't in the band or friends with them you know like okay. we'd send them to cable shows and you know 120 minutes and and just you know who knows if anything ever got played so all those videos were kind of 
unseen by people until, or maybe tape trading. Until we, we YouTube. That. <laughs> but now they're on YouTube. So you can, you can see them. I wish we did some, I think Iceburn just escaped the embarrassment of doing a video just because it, it was. <laughs> we asked. Gentry gave a thumbs up, but we, the far side video is cool. I like yeah, that video. We asked far side. I love them all, but I think half of the people involved were like, oh, we really, we're really going to do this. Yeah. Uh, and in retrospect, it's cool. It's great to see yourself on, uh, you know, on film playing back then. I'm going to yeah. say this is sort of, well, it's related to that. To me, I'm, am I right in assuming that the first video that had like revelation on it that actually was on regular TV that I remember seeing, was it Shades Apart, Tainted Love? Like that might have been the one that crossed over to be yeah, on that like was, that one had a a leg up because a it was a cover of a hit song, but also the the guy who directed it had a lot of professional experience. I think he did some videos for Civ, and that one might you know that mm-hmm. one had a, if not a bigger budget, we got more for the money because he he pulled in favors and did stuff for free and all that. Yeah, because I remember seeing that one on like actual MTV. So just an aside. Oh, that's cool. um, okay. But uh, Jason, do you have a hot track? Yeah, I got my favorite, my hot movement. I'll go with Iron because that to me is like the most lyrically and like vocally catchy movement. I think of the um, for sure of the double LP. Yeah, but I did like all that. L- like I said, that blacksmith movement. I did like hearing that black flag influence i thought that was cool it's you know it's later on in the record but i definitely enjoyed hearing all those get influenced solos and yeah and making that yeah. connection get into some weird stuff in that record yeah like you know and as i said uh, for a 16 year old uh, uh, it wasn't this wasn't something that was on my radar and that's again another reason why we love doing this because we're kind of like you know there's been a f- so far with the rev catalog i've been pretty familiar with most of this stuff got into slipknot that i'd never heard slipknot until you know last year or whatever yeah and, uh you know this is another one where i'm like man this is killer like 40 you know by the time this episode drops i'll be a few days from 40 and i'm like 40 year old me feeling this like i'm i'm into it i'm excited and i'm excited to hear yeah i'm excited to hear so um ice burn so you did the records with rev i think there was the split with engine kid poetry of fire meta evolutions and then after that what or didn't you have something that was on your own label but distributed through um, i was looking on discogs sure um Jordan was like, why don't you guys, it was basically under our name, but he did all the uh, pressing of it and pretty much everything. I can't even remember why we came to that idea, but. Um, I do. And it didn't, it didn't make, it didn't make much of a difference, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah. That, yeah. I mean, our, we didn't i don't know we weren't in there trying to maximize uh dollars and make money for jordan i guess so sorry jordan no yeah well, <laughs> well so the idea was we 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 put out uh ice records and and i think my suggestion was 
you get a subscription, like you come up, like Iceburn is going to make an album every six months or something. Cause you guys were kind of like, you could have done that at, the, at that point. Sure. And, and so I was thinking you have like people who are following the band and our promotion, like us as a label, what we were doing, we were kind of getting back into heavier stuff, like uh noisier, like, uh, you know, going in a different direction than Shai we Haloud. started. But um, yeah, that was the idea. Like put out more, like a bunch of Iceburn subscription type releases. And then, uh, but it, it just didn't happen. Yeah. I think, I don't know what happened after um, Polar Bear Suite. Well, we did. Yeah. Polar Bear, Power of the Lion. Um, and the thing I tried to do actually was create after the fact, as we were getting to the 10 year mark, I I wanted to have the albums mimic almost a palindrome, like to get back to the beginning again. Um, after the, the wild crazy journey. So we did three, I think there was three. No, was there just two with you? In the middle I'm, there. I'm looking now here. I see. Yeah, there's um, just two, two through Rev. Yeah, Polar Bear, Sweet. Polar Bear and Power of the Lion. Oh, and then pretty much the next one was this black album that we did, um, which if you look at the palindrome, <laughs> if it's called uh, Speed of Light, Voice of Thunder. I don't know if that's on there. That was a CD-only thing that we actually produced ourselves at that point. And like all the text is in Klingon, but Rich Jacobs actually did the Klingon song. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Okay, wow. yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Like I said, it's... it's so. That, it's, and by that point, yeah, it was complete free jazz noise, like guitars and saxophones and drums just yeah. going nuts. Um, but for us, that was kind of the Destruction album. And... and uh, Faced is here was the creation, like the white album versus the black album. And that puts Metatavolutions like right in the middle, which itself was written to be like a palindrome. So, so on either side of that, you know, you have the polar bear and poetry fire, and then you have the split and um, the power of the lion. So, and then if you go even further out of the palindrome to the fire there's actually this one that was done after that which was land of wind and ghosts which um if fire was kind of the primordial before the creation stuff because i feel you know that early stuff was definitely just carried over from the um hardcore days and stuff we're still um trying to do things in those ways in terms of songs and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the other one's kind of a ghosty after death, the land of wind and ghosts, which is a veiled Simpsons reference actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I'm looking through. So did the band bringing literature back into it? <laughs> yes. Did, did, did you ever like officially end or was it just the kind of thing yeah. where, okay, so there was a point where you're like, all right, we're we're done in the early, was yep. it early 2000s? Yeah, but it was right around 
2000. So like a 10 year period and, and it was done and I was getting into other stuff. So we did uh 2001, I think we did our last uh, little round in Europe. Um, and I remember because I was in England when 9-11 happened and that was just crazy. Oh, damn. I remember hearing it on the radio and uh, I was like, is this War of the Worlds or what is going on? But um, anyway, that was a fun tour. It was actually with some of the guys, Ed Rodriguez. He ended up in Deerhoof, which is okay. pretty amazing. Um, and the other guy, Chad Popple, was just like this insane drummer. Um, those guys were in Milwaukee and Chicago, so... I don't know. I f it was weird because with Iceburn, you would travel to these different cities on the road. And, you know, we kind of certain like-minded people just um, created like this weird long distance family of sorts, I guess. Was that where the idea of Iceburn Collective, like that's how it is. Like it's just basically like whoever is around play and, you know, it kind of gave you freedom sure. to mess you know whereas like it's not like i mean it's a crazy like the beatles where it's like it had to be <laughs> yeah. john paul george and ringo it could just be like the iceberg collective it's like gentry and he's hey you know sometimes you got uh you know uh, cash or whoever with you and sometimes sure. it's somebody else and um but like yeah this uh i know someone mentioned earlier like when i hear this record it is like almost like sets the tone for what like southern lord ended up doing where there's a lot, they put out a lot of heavier, weirder stuff that still came from the hardcore scene. Like, you know, Greg Anderson, he came from the hardcore scene. Um, and, you know, when I look, you know, this kind of seems like the, the, the forefront of that, the ice burn stuff um, was like, you know, set the tone for that whole scene. I don't think we can, um, how have you were talking about uh, some of the bands that Hydra had put out? Was that it? Mm. Maybe being influenced by Iceburn? Yeah, like Isis and... So, Gentry, did you ever work with Hydrahead or have any anything released through there? No. I know they were doing some of Greg and Steve O'Malley's stuff. Um, and peripherally, I mean, since then, I've met Aaron and played and hung out with him. And, um, but yeah, and his wife is awesome. Um, but there, let me think, we didn't really, I didn't know him particularly. Does he, was, was Aaron Turner in anything else before that? Do you know? Like um, back East? <laughs> yeah, he was in, you know, one of those bands. I think they had a seven inch I'm going to mess this okay. up and someone's going to call me out like still suit or union suit or one of those bands union suit. I think he, he, there was like that kind of pre Hydra head, you know, early nineties stuff going on, but ISIS was his like big yeah. thing. And union I, always, suit. I looked it up for union you. Suit. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for doing the homework for me. No problem. Was it? <laughs> union suit. Oh, you did. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but I feel, Yeah. We had some, I don't think we can claim all the credit for that. We were just a cog in. Yeah, well, it's, it's not but, like about all the, but I just think like, 
<laughs> I saw the the Southern Lord posted that there was going to be a new record and they were doing it like, you know, it just kind of made, it made sense to me. Yeah. Full circle. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Come kind of full circle. Like Hav just said, but um, what, so with a new record, what's, can you give, what's some details about that? When's it coming out? What's uh, uh June 25th is what I hear. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, it's called Asclepius who was the God of, healing and god of medicine so it's kind of appropriate for this time we felt um but like a Faustus, you got some weird greek guy that it's named after who okay. plays um, on it with you and what who plays on it with you oh it so it's chubba joseph chad smith as you said uh and cash awesome Coleman, and jamie holder who is the original guitar guy and he, Jamie was on, you know, the seven inch stuff. He was on Poetry of Fire and the, the split metatabolutions and a lot of stuff. So, um, okay. he's, he's definitely in that early, early thing. He was in Inside as well. Okay. And yeah. He, he was the main guitar guy there. Um, and so, yeah, we meet up all the time still. The four of us, uh, we have a practice room with um, some friends and like Tyler from Eagle Twin, my other band. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So we just share a space and um, try to hit on the weekends, you know, play some stuff, but we came up with, we've, we've written quite a bit of new stuff. Um, but like new, I, even newer than, even newer than the LP. Yeah. There's nice. more. <laughs> so, and it's, I don't know if you want to, it's basically two 20 minute songs with, or maybe more like 16 to 19 minutes, but that's how we do, I guess. Um, it's for me, we were able to kind of go back to um, maybe this early time around her faces and, and how we approach things and everything. I think uh, Chubba's drumming this. He's, kind of a man who embraces simplicity as well just bought a a farm up in uh or a ranch up in montana and and is living up there now um but we've all come a long way cash is an awesome bass player and um brings a lot to the table too so it's really really fun um and i get to do like two guitar things that in in Eagle Twin, it's just me and a drummer, um, so we can kind of get our Iron Maiden, you know, harmonies on if we yeah. want or whatever. Because <laughs> cool that was that actually a big influence too. Maiden. Iron Maiden, from I mean, in Fire, especially I think back then, a lot of a lot of that early metal stuff, and that was the way it was going. You know, Chromags we're leading the way with the, the metal tones. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. we're like, yeah, this is, this is how you do it. This is fun. Do you still play Dan Armstrong's on the recordings or what, what are you playing now? Yeah. I, I was able to get a kind of cheaper uh, one that I fixed all up. Um, so I have, and I have this other acrylic guitar. That's a, it's a mockingbird, like a BC rich acrylic. 
Wow. And so that's the one I played on the records. It plays super nice and um it's, and it's, it's a, like it's an actual bc rich yeah they, it was made in korea uh, you know 2000 something wow. um but i've pretty much changed everything out but the acrylic body so so your sound comes more from the acrylic than the <laughs> electronics like does, uh, does no, acrylic mean anything i don't know that's a little too transparent, I think. <laughs> pun, pun, inten- pun intended. <laughs> no. Um, Are you going to ask? Um, I, this is probably the the one re- interview you'll probably do by yourself. So I don't know if you, you guys wanted to ask about. I'm I'm curious about your amps that, and other electronic stuff that you're making. Do you want to? Should we talk about that or? Yeah, I mean that's kind of just a labor of love. Um, <laughs> that I do on the side and just got into, I guess, you know, um, and it's funny, one of the amps we built, um, not long ago, the guy wanted a, that iceburn eye symbol mm-hmm. engraved. So we have, uh, some wood shops and other metal shops that we work with fabricating stuff. And so we actually carved the little eye logo oh, that's awesome. in the front of his amplifier um that's cool but it's even with those it's a super diy and we're kind of building everything ourselves um i guess we've always had that kind of ethic in a way but with the it's called hex uh electrics hex amps or um but it's just ideas of stuff i wanted to play and build and then it turns out other people want them so you end up building them for them and but we almost treat it like a band as well because we kind of just want to make what we want to make you know you don't want to be i have a day job i i have a pension going so yeah i um it's got to kind of be a labor of love on the side there um got to pay the bills and keep the kids insured and all that. Yeah. So talking about your job, do any, has, have any of the inmates ever listened to Iceburn <laughs> or Eagle Twin or. Yeah. You're talking about Salt Lake. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've had old hardcore dudes and I've <laughs> definitely, or you hear some of the guys like, yeah, he plays in this band, man. He's an awesome uh, guitarist or something. So it's fun. <laughs> what are your, what are your kids? Actually the guards kids too. really (laughs) the guards yeah there's a bunch there's some old hardcore kids you know turn turn prison guards or jail Mm -hmm. jail's a little different than prison yeah but what were you saying about my oh i was saying your kids what do they think i don't know how old your kids are but like uh do do they know like oh dad played in this band and i think ruby does a little bit she talks about yeah but she says words like rock star, which are not what <laughs> ever. Um, but she sees videos of me, you know, all on the internet or something on YouTube. And and how old? How old? She's four. Okay. But or she's going on five. She just loves to. She's kind of got it going on herself. She she does a little. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> a little. T- 
twinkle little star. <laughs> Heavy. But oh, I, I wanted to ask something else. Sorry. My friend Brian, who does uh end on end podcast, he asked if you remember playing a uh basement show in denver with lungfish and his old band which was called uh savalas i'm sorry if i'm not mispronouncing do you remember playing with lungfish oh i remember that show yeah nice yeah lungfish that was one that we we had a few shows with uh i think that was the first iceberg tour maybe but yeah i i have a pretty visual memory and i can totally picture that that place um, the crazy thing was we had to be in Mankato, Minnesota for a matinee after that. And that mm. was physically impossible <laughs> leaving from, from then. I don't know. It's stormy, maybe messed up on the booking, but it was a straight, I don't know, 12, 14 hour drive after the show to try to get there. But it was a fun show. Uh, Longfish remains like one of my favorite things of all time as well. And they, they stayed at our weird house, you know, in Salt Lake. Uh, they were like, I don't know, 10 years older than us, you know, showing up. And it was kind of unnerving. Daniel with his tattoos, he was covered, you know, basically tattoos yeah. everywhere. He got Abraham Lincoln on his leg. And <laughs> yeah. Um, but amazing guys and they, it took me a while to understand their approach. Um, but you know, years later, it's like, I really loved how they were doing it. Um, they were all about simplicity. Uh, it's like one riff the whole time while, you know, Daniel Higgs does his thing and, and it's really beautiful. Um, we were totally on a different wavelength where it's like, we're going to make the music do all this crazy stuff. And the words are kind of, were an afterthought in a way, but mm-hmm. yeah. Cause I've, I've recently become obsessed with Longfish too. So yeah. hearing that you guys yeah. played together, like that's cool. And what's weird is even though it's different to me, that bill, that makes total sense that, that, uh, that bill. Have, have, yeah. have you guys ever covered a song, I mean, not counting right as spring, but uh, even in practice, like, is there ever any time you guys played somebody else's music? Yeah. Early days with Jeremy and so the seven inch era band, we did Burning for You, Blue Oyster Cult. Oh man, I love that song. <laughs> um, I think there's a video or a recording somewhere um, that I'd heard of. Uh, but yeah, I feel we but Poetry of Fire, you know, was a lot of us taking say Miles Davis kind of tunes and doing them as well. Um wow. in our own way. In really our own way, I guess. <laughs> um a lot we've done more jazz things, I think, live and different things. Um and we did uh Mazorksky's uh pictures at an exhibition like one of the pieces Nomus one time which is really heavy like oh wow I'd like to look at that again maybe but um yeah 
So definitely classically inspired stuff, but it's not in the same way that like a Ingve Malmsteen is approaching, (laughs) you know, classical music, classical metal. Um, For us, we were just kind of taking those ideas and putting them into our own way of doing things. I guess my, my, to kind of wrap it up, um, you'd mentioned that you're working on possibly remixing uh, mm. the faces. Would that be like a through Rev and Southern Lord, like a split label? Yeah. Like, and any Jordan, any plans for, I did manage to find the other iceberg yeah. stuff that I'll need on Discogs for a, a reasonable price. Cause when we do these, especially for the ones where I, I really enjoy them, I like to have the, the physical product. So I was able to find them, but any, any plans to maybe put some of that stuff back in, in, in circulation? Um, this, is all, this is all TBD with, uh, with how this goes in Gentry and, and you know, what, what, what we have time for. And cool. things are kind of crazy right now because, of, you know, lockdown has, has made um, a lot more um, online purchases happen than normal, I think. Mm-hmm. So once once people are vaccinated and things go back to normal, I don't know what I don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah. But anyway, I would love to see uh, a new pressing of of a lot of records. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's I think Southern Lord was talking about doing some of the records that were were not ever on vinyl. I think Greg might want to be um, reissuing those if he hasn't if if it hasn't been done already. The the two that were on Iceburn Records. Yeah, he did the Power of the Lion quite a, maybe 10 years ago or something. I was going to say, I saw there was one thing that was on, uh, the, the vinyl was on Southern Lord. Yeah. Um, that was a later one, probably number seven. <laughs> okay. It's going to be really exciting to hear new, like, we, we kind of went through a period where digital was not great, and now... Uh, it'll be nice to hear what modern technology can do for mastering some of these yeah. uh, early nineties records. I'm excited for that. For yeah. Sure. Me too. All right. Uh, Gentry and Yo. Jordan, thanks so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. Uh, we always record on Sunday mornings. And so I know sometimes it's hard for people, you know, to do that and we really appreciate it. And the first of many conversations with you gentry and jordan definitely not the last conversation yeah jordan thank thank you for joining i just thank you after hearing this record i remember i said to hava i was like we gotta i want to get jordan on here too because i wanted to really find um like hear your perspective so thank you yeah uh, it's fine it's funny because this record i feel like uh, I didn't really have anything to, I didn't know anything about Iceburn. So this is, this is the, the band I'm least familiar with. Cause I, you know, they're from somewhere like the people from New York, I knew I would see them at shows people in California. I knew sort of personally by living here, but uh, Iceburn was uh, very, very new to me, but uh, I got to, I, I was fun working on it. And the artwork was, that was the one part of it that I was involved in. Cause it was sort of like our first, first thing without training wheels where we were using our, our computer and doing a color layout. Nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Technology. It is. And like I said, I, this, 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 uh, and now we're, you know, we're, we're, 
we're done. But this definitely first double LP too. Uh, yeah, this made me a oh, fan. This is the first double LP. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, for first double LP, um, and uh, then yeah, and then I guess the the split is the split the first split twelve inch, right? I think it's the first split anything. Um, I guess not counting that the two the albums bold CD, that. yeah, or the bold oh, CD, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so for the split, I'm actually hoping. Uh, we would love to talk to you and uh, Gentry and Greg. Greg, yeah. Um, yes. Because Javier Javier recorded something with Greg like when we first started. And um, I figured we could like use that as like a bonus. But I, like, especially with me and Jason, like when we do the Engine Kid record, like I want to talk to Greg for, for this, like, you know, in an area where it's quiet, like Javier said. That was an interesting interview. And I think that the one of the coolest parts, besides having Jordan Cooper, which is always uh, you know, a really nice thing to to have, is that Gentry did that interview while he was in the library of the jail. Yeah. yeah. Was that, our first, City. that was our first jail interview. First right? jail interview, yeah. Yeah. It was hopefully I not said the prison. Last. It was a jail. Hopefully not the last. I would love it if someone could call in. If any of the members of any of the bands on Rev want to do an interview and you need to call in from jail, just I'm not I'm, I'm like not making light of this situation. I'm being totally serious. Like it'll be like HR on Sacred Love. I was just gonna say let's Sacred yeah, Love. That's what I thought yeah, Sacred Love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you just know, so you know too, he's 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 not in jail. He right. works at jail. He works there. <laughs> so um revisiting this record i legit haven't listened to this record this century i probably haven't listened to it since the mid 90s my biggest takeaway from it is that to me it sounded like bloodlet the seraphim fall which is uh their their second full length on victory records and I know a lot about Bloodlet and I, I've like the, one of my favorite bands of all time. They purposefully did things on that record to make people uncomfortable, including writing things in weird time signatures and weird timing and a weird number of parts and all that stuff. And that's the kind of musicianship and song, like putting songs together that only comes from sitting in a room with your bandmates for hours and hours and hours and jamming and bringing ideas to the table and sometimes like improv in the studio or just letting things go. But you can't just have one guy sitting 
like uh, like Al Payne, like sitting in his bedroom, writing a Chain of Strength record and then showing it to the rest of the band or whatever. I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying that that, you know, is exactly what happened, but you couldn't write a Hephaestus or a Seraphim Fall just with one guy sitting on a, on a bed writing some riffs. This is a collective. It's a group of people writing and crafting and constructing a piece of music together. And uh, I really, really respect and ad- admire that in a lot of ways. It blows my mind when I think that <laughs> this record came out a mere six years after the Warzone 7-inch. Yeah. Like, so you hear the Warzone, yeah, yeah, and it's like primitive yeah. in the best way. Uh, it, you know, war, it's fucking Warzone. But compared to Iceburn, it's like night and day. And yeah. six years ago, like in retrospect, six years ago was 2015, you know, now, like look at in that and think of how, you know, yeah, things have changed since 2015, but to have that big of a change, I mean, it's like the Beatles going from, I want to hold your hand to Sergeant Pepper or something like, you know, it's just crazy. And I, I just think to me, hearing this record for the first time and listening to it multiple times and then getting the vinyl, um, and holding it and looking at it and seeing the layout with the lyric, the way they have the lyrics set up and the artwork um, just made it like a whole package. And I'm, I'm excited to dive into the other Iceburn stuff uh, with Gentry and maybe some others, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just thought it was really cool. And it was nice to have, I know Jason actually got some more information speaking of artwork. Yeah. Yeah. I reached out to Rich Jacobs in preparation for the interview to let him know we're going to be talking about the Iceburn double LP and uh, asked him if he had any memories about the artwork. And he got back to me right before we were logging on to do the intro and outro. And he said, yeah, I feel, this is what he messaged me. I feel lucky to have traveled with and seen many Iceburn shows over the years. I even was able to bring my son to see them twice as he is a big fan of, of, of Hephaestus, actually. He wouldn't let me take the tape out of our car for a year and a half. He is a pretty smart kid. I saw the band Melt Minds literally on tour and short circuit more conservative straight edgers who might have just been there to mosh or to be pitmaster. But there were always a group of serious Iceburn fans and followers. There are at least 10 or 15 kids with the tattoos to prove it. I have seen it with my own eyes. One kid has a Hephaestus back piece. I kind of need a photo of that. And I want to see that too. So if you have a photo, send that over. The band was about... 25 years ahead of schedule, the world was not prepared or ready for them. Maybe they still have time to catch up. Gentry is a genius that knows not only how to play his instrument, but also make them and his own amps. How many Which people we talked can about do a that? little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said, uh, he has written music for large orchestras and some of the most monumental riffs I've ever heard. We share a strong interest in out there music and musical ideas I think that is why we bonded as friends early on. And then this is cool. He says that he met those guys on the Brotherhood tour with the accused. We stayed at Andy Savar's house, their friend, and have been good friends since. I sold Gentry the see-through Dan Armstrong. He used it on most of their recordings, but in a crazy trade, he got it back 20 years later. They pushed harder than most on what is possible, and he loves them for that. I watched it happen, and I'm never going to forget it. I feel extremely humbled and lucky to have been there and to have done the artwork. I can't think of a more amazing path. Gentry is still writing great riffs and recording, and I'm hyped on that. So 
I've got some more, but that was his initial message. But uh, let's see. And then I told him that Jordan joined us. And then he asked if the cover was supposed to be Hephaestus, the Greek god. And he said that it was loosely based on it. He didn't know who he was, but uh, of course, Gentry did. He sort of requested some of the elements like we talked about iron, the brick, and uh, fly swatter, blacksmith. And he said, uh, let's see. Because <laughs> we were talking back and forth like small talk stuff. Yeah, no, was... this is this is good. And, and you know, we're here to make sure that it's documented, you know. Okay, so check this out. He said they would... He said that they would play a different set each night on the tour, and sometimes they wouldn't play anything from their records. And that it was cool to see that, but I went to go see Iceburn, and I didn't recognize any of the songs, and I was like, well, maybe that's because I'm not familiar with the whole catalog. But he said that uh, sometimes they would start out with like one of the songs from Hephaestus, and then just jam into something completely different. And then come back to it at the end, and that's why when I saw it, I was just confused by that. When did you see them? It was some, I was trying to figure out when it was, it was, it had to have been the late nineties. It was in Richmond. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's just awesome to talk to somebody whose mind works like that with that musical kind of genius, uh, you know, way to see the big picture and yeah. put all these things together. And it's cool. Like he's doing it like Eagle twin is, is kicking and Iceburn have a new record coming out on Southern Lord in June. Yeah. So so, and I talked about um, the cover. I said, was he disappointed with the way that the colors came out? Because Jordan talked about the saturation, the oversaturation of the uh, pink. And he said it was a bit dark, but red always gets darker, but it's fine. He painted it with the cheapest watercolor set that he had and that he was into the process of being surprised how it turned out when it was printed. And he said, uh, I like seeing what happens. Not a popular artist idea. Most people want it to look just like they did it, but he likes seeing what can happen when it, you know, during the process. So. Awesome. Deep dive extra notes. Yeah. Thanks for sharing though. Yeah, thanks, that's great. thanks Rich. Yes. Uh, Thank you, Rich info. Jacobs. Oh, uh, real quick here. Rich Jacobs is at Movezine at Movezine. If you want to check out some of his artwork. Nice. Okay. Thank you. More of his artwork. Cool. And there'll be um, more ice burn. Yes. Lots more ice burn talk. Um, and some cool, some cool things, especially the ice burn engine kids split. Which then that's the next up. one, right? Isn't that the next ice burn? Yeah, that's Rev 34. And then that leads into Engine Kid, which is Rev 38. So it, we're going, uh, it, it, man, the, like the web that connects everybody is so crazy. Yeah. I just got the Engine Kid on vinyl finally. And I, yeah. I played the uh, the Spotify one, which the track listing's a little it's different. different. I guess it is fit, different. Yeah. But uh, it's awesome. It's like good. I was like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that record. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, fan of Angel Wings. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Jason. Yo. What do we got next episode? I think next time we're going to be talking about... I don't even know. I'm literally asking you because I don't I know. know. Well, in one of the promo photos for Iceburn, one of them was wearing this band shirt. Greg, kick it. So uh, we have Rev 28 underdog demos. Oh, yeah, that's right. And um, I didn't notice that shirt. Um, yeah, we are going to be taking a spring break. Mm. Spring so, break, spring break forever, IMO. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we will. Um, so whenever this comes out, the underdog demos will be two weeks from then. So nice. Enjoy your time. 
use it to go outside and uh or you back episodes yeah or you could join the patreon even if you're a five dollar a month patron you have access to all of our back catalog including many uh bonus episodes and i still actually have a couple of bonus episodes to edit like small having my say bonus episodes so maybe that'll be uh we'll sprinkle that in during spring break for some bonus stuff yeah all for the the, the cool kids and then as always a bit of bow to everyone in our discord which you also get access to if you're a patron and uh man we have we have some good chats about hardcore in there some good links get dropped in uh for rare downloads and uh it's just like cool to sit around and talk to other people about hardcore sometimes you know i i I enjoy it so i love it yeah uh i guess we'll see you next episode right yes all right yeah spring break bye enjoy your spring break (laughs) bye-bye What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Bram Hubble, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Logan Weasel, Nate of Head to Wall fame, O'Neill the Horsefucker, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Dollar Size Bootlegs, Siren Records, and the Northwest Hardcore Archival Project. You can check us out on www.whereitwentpodcast.com for more information about how you can help us every month. Thanks.